Welcome to Legal Toolkit, bringing you the latest legal trends and business initiatives to help you manage your law firm with your host, Jared Correa. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Welcome to another episode of the award-winning Legal Toolkit podcast here on the Legal Talk Network. If you were looking for my mint condition Rodimus Prime action figure, where that's at, I will never tell. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. If you're a first-time listener, hopefully you'll become a long-time listener. And if you're Thanos, your chance of beating the Avengers, while objectively fantastic, will probably follow the darkest timeline. As always, I'm your show host, Jared Korea, and in addition to casting this pod, I'm the CEO of Red Cave Law Firm Consulting, which offers subscription-based law practice management consulting services for law firms, bar associations, and legal vendors. Check us out at redcavelegal.com. I'm also the CEO, COO excuse me, of Gideon Software, Inc., which offers chatbots, a first-to-market chatbot builder, and predictive analytics created specifically for law firms. Find out more at www.gideon.legal. And lastly, because I don't have enough to do, you can listen to my other, other podcast, The Lobby List, a family travel show I host with my wife, Jessica, on iTunes. Subscribe, rate, and comment. But here on Legal Toolkit, which is why you're here, right? We provide you each month with a new tool to add to your own legal toolkit so that your practices will become more and more like best practices. In this episode, we're going to talk about how law firms and legal technology vendors can work better together. But before I introduce today's guest, who I think is an expert in that area, let's take a moment to thank our sponsors. Answer One is a leading virtual receptionist and answering services provider for lawyers. You can find out more by giving them a call at 800-ANSWER-1 or online at www.answerone.com. That's www.answer1.com. Scorpion crushes the standard for law firm online marketing with proven campaign strategies to get attorneys better cases from the internet. Partner with Scorpion to get an award-winning website and ROI-positive marketing programs today. Visit scorpionlegal.com forward slash podcast. We would like to thank our sponsor, Thomson Reuters Firm Central, cloud-based legal practice management that streamlines your day and automates non-billable administrative tasks so you can accomplish more with less. TimeSolve is the number one web-based time and billing software for lawyers. Providing solutions since 1999, TimeSolve provides the most comprehensive billing features for law firms big and small, www.timesolve.com, without the E, T-I-M-E-S-O-L-V.com. So my guest today is Patrick Palace, who is the owner of Palace Law, a workers' compensation and personal injury law firm in Washington State. Patrick is a former president of the Washington State Bar Association and is a current member of the National Council for Bar Presidents Executive Council. Patrick is a regular speaker at national, state, and local events for lawyers and lawyers' groups, and he is also the owner of a winery, Sunken Cellars. Hey, Patrick, welcome to the big show. Hey, man, thank you. Very good to be here, man. It's been t- I can't believe we haven't had you on the show until this point. <laughs> I'm personally disappointed in myself. Well, it's an honor, and, and I'm thankful, and of the conversations we've had outside of any recording device, uh, I can't wait to see what happens when we actually have one of these babies in front of us. <laughs> Let's just hope those other conversations were not recorded. Um, <laughs> all right, let me start off with an icebreaker question, which I like to do. Now, this is probably not going to help your business, let me warn you, uh, okay. but I hate wine. All right, I'm I so like warm. champagne, Bailey's on the rocks, it's kind of my uh-huh. jam. So can you tell me? First of all, you're my second favorite Washington 
wine cellar owner after Drew Bledsoe. Oh, I see where this is going. Yeah. Uh So is there a wine I should drink that might convince me that wine is not all bad? Uh, Yes. Uh, Although, you know, for a guy like you, I start with his stomach, right? We start with your food. Like I'm going to say Midwest guy, some big thick steak, right? You something you can throw on the barbecue. Uh, So what's going to go with a guy who likes his potatoes and his, and his big barbecued steak. I'm going to start you off with the cab. So some great big fruit forward uh, Cabernet to wash, to scour all the grease off your, uh, off your gums and tongue and, and help that steak become amazing. Right. That's, that's how I get to guys like you. All right. Oh, that's good. I'm a type. You had me down. <laughs> Am I wrong? Am I wrong? Well, I'm scraping grease off myself. Give me a second. No. <laughs> <laughs> a little bacon, a little pork, right? You're the yeah, guy who man. eats immediate pizza. Right. Cabernet right. your thing. All right, all right. I'm going to try it, and I'm going to get back to you. We'll do another okay. show, and I'll tell you what I think about it. So let's do. A, you want to do some legal tech stuff? Oh, sure. Check. Sounds fun. Other than the fact that there are now rules, or at least comments in place on this subject matter, like let me ask you generally, as an attorney who still practices, owns a law firm, manages that law firm, why is technology confidence so important to modern lawyers? Oh gosh, was that was was that was that the softball question? Yeah, or is it? Maybe it's not. <laughs> I should ask another wine question. Yeah, right. Um, so I think that's a really, really critical question. And the challenge for being in this legal sphere of, of owning your own law firm and trying to practice law is that we many times are islands unto ourselves. And mm. it's hard for us when we sit in our silo to look out and see what's happening in the rest of the world and, and see how we yeah. fit in. But the reality is that the whole world is tech around us, the, the Amazons, the Netflix, you know, the, the AI that's out there, the abilities for seamless customer interactions, for giving people exactly what they want. Um, yeah. And somehow we live that in our everyday lives from, from all the cool stuff that's inside of our cars to the way we order and, and get food through Uber Eats, right? Mm. We ignore what that might look like when we turn our law firm that direction and say, how do we make our law firm look more like the amazing rare products that are existing outside of law. And I think when we shine that kind of spotlight, we see the enormous gap that is opening up between the way we practice law and the way the rest of the world is functioning. And when you start to become more consumer-centric or client-centric and re-envision how your law firm can keep up with the times and the kind of customer services and opportunities that are outside of the law, then you start to see the advantages of what tech really means. Tech is that bridge um, that helps us build a better consumer base, a better consumer experience, a more mm-hmm. seamless opportunity to deliver legal services and see a legal system re-envisioned. And I think that's why tech is important, because it helps us not just survive in law, but thrive and indeed succeed when we start to put on the pair of glasses that goes from what's best for me and instead what's best for my client. And tech is that bridge, I think, that helps build Those that aren't out. Google glasses, are they? That's not what you're talking about, right? Not Google glasses and not wine glasses, but... Uh, <laughs> uh, oh, well played. Yes. I wasn't even thinking about that. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think that's a great answer. Sort of beautiful in the way you spoke about building bridges. Very nice. So I want to talk a little bit about like the lawyer persona and how they approach technology. And not every lawyer approaches technology different, uh, the same way, rather. I know lawyers who are very tech savvy, I know lawyers who are not tech savvy. 
And I don't think the reputation that lawyers are not tech savvy applies across the board, present company included. I know that like most lawyers I talk to want to do something else as well as practice law. You have a wine cellar. I mean, every lawyer is like that guy sitting at the bar in Piano Man where Billy Joel is like, well, this person's doing this thing, but they really want to do this. And a lot of lawyers have a secret desire to run software companies. So can you talk about how lawyers who still practice deal with that kind of existential crisis in terms of like how they work with technology companies? Wow. Okay. Um, How's that for a question? I, I, will start I know from, that was long way. That's a good question. I will start from the basic premise that most lawyers <laughs> actually just want to practice law. Don't, don't, oh, don't make me market. Don't make me learn new tech. Don't, don't, geez, <laughs> I just want to write pleadings and argue cases and meet with clients and, yeah. and I, don't make me do anything else. I'm a lawyer. Uh, which is why I think so many uh, lawyers really don't like marketing. They don't want to look at their books. They don't want to manage money. They don't want to do any of those things. They want to practice law. And, and that's where I think this all starts, that it is really hard to step away from our pleadings. It's really hard in a day when you're trying just to make money and just to take care of your ethical duties, take care of clients, to step away and say, oh, I need to invent a tech tool. Oh, I need to you know, <laughs> do all these things to keep up with what the Joneses are doing. Um, the first step for any law firm is, I think, being able to step away and put down the practice of law and, and yeah. look at what it is you need to do and take time to do that. We tease in my office about it, call it, you know, navel gazing, right? We need to take a, a, a few <laughs> moments, right, to dream about what we want to do, to take a look at what we do. Um, but you can't do that when your face is so buried in your pleadings and you're working on your arguments and discovery. You have to take that step back. And for us mm -hmm. in our office, we created a management team, put management meetings together. We get out of the office uh, and have separate meetings where we can't be distracted. I've stepped away from, you know, I litigated for 25 years and now I'm stepping away from litigation and trial work and even having clients. And it takes that, I think, to be able to envision what your law firm can be and to take time to change your law firm to be something that is new and to change the format of the way you practice or your workflows. I just want to get a Billy Joe reference in there, honestly. I haven't done it for a while. But that's a great answer. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah. If you want to be a piano man, you got to stop playing piano once in a while. <laughs> so, in terms of the way most lawyers then access software, especially in the small firm environment, they're buying like off the shelf software. Right. How should law firms then choose software vendors that they want to work with? Because I don't think there's enough focus on this for law firms. They don't vet technology vendors probably as well as they should. Yeah, you know, um, I just finished doing a presentation with Andrew Elowit, who is really an, a, yeah. an amazing consultant. And we were talking kind of about change management, the human side of change, mm. uh, which includes bringing new software in and how do you get the buy-in from your staff and how do you make these decisions. And it's a much longer conversation, but I think at its base, I boil it down to two points. That if you're thinking about new software or new tech or new anything, Changing what you do inside your law firm for tech's sake is a bad idea. Uh, many times mm -hmm. there are simple solutions that are personnel-based, that are workflow-based, that have nothing to do with tech whatsoever. If tech is a solution, then it, for us it has to pass two tests. Is it scalable or does it have a real short dead end? You do it for you know, you create something and then you can't expand to two other attorneys in your firm, right? So it has to be scalable yeah. far beyond 
your horizon. And second, it has to be more efficient and save money, right? If you're creating a tech tool or you want a tech tool and it's not saving you money, it's not significantly more efficient than just say no, don't don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're choosing uh, some uh, technology out there, if it's scalable and if it is efficient and you can you can afford it, you know it pays for itself with opportunity cost, with saved time, with decreased employee use. You know you should need to go through that vetting process. Simple things. It's nice to have a consultant. It's nice to look at multiple vendors. Uh, it's nice to bring it into your staff and have your staff talk about it and see what problems they have. Everyone has a little different lens in which they evaluate things. Make sure you understand what the needs of your staff are, not just your needs. And don't foist anything on your on your team. Uh, do it as a group. Get ownership from everybody. Get buy-in. Make sure everyone understands. Be transparent. And then bring in your new piece of tech if all of those things can be accomplished. That's really the shortest version. It's a much longer story as you good. can imagine. No, but I, th- I think the idea of scale is not necessarily something that law firms think about on a regular basis in terms of technology. It just kind of happens. And then the cost efficiency thing is something they do think about. But bringing in all those other pieces, I think, is really useful. So that's helpful. Believe it or not, we're already at the end of part one of the podcast. And my internal clock is telling me we need to take a break. Here are some things you should buy. Do you feel like your marketing efforts aren't getting you the high-value cases your firm deserves? For over 15 years, Scorpion has helped thousands of law firms just like yours to attract new cases and to grow their practices. As a Google Premier Partner and winner of Google's Platform Innovator Award, Scorpion has the right resources and technology to aggressively market your law firm and to generate better cases from the internet. For more information, visit scorpionlegal.com forward slash podcast today. Imagine billing day being the happiest day of the month instead of the day you dread. Nobody went to law school because they love drafting invoices for clients. At TimeSolve, our attorneys save on average over eight hours a month in billing work. That means more billable time and turning billing day into happy day. Learn more about how to get to your time and billing happy place at timesolve.com. That's www.timesolvleaveofftheye.com. Remember, that's timesolv.com. Hey, everybody. Thanks for staying on. I, I started to make some blueberry muffins from scratch, but I'm back now. And I'm here talking with Patrick Pallas of Pallas Law. Yeah. We're here podcasting about the way that law firms can work with technology vendors in a better fashion, more suitable fashion. I know I couldn't think of a great adjective for that. So we talked generally in the first half of the show, Patrick, but let's kind of think about a situation now where a law firm is a potential beta user for a technology product. Okay. And in that case, it, it's it's somewhat more of a partnership than anything else, because uh, it's not a full-scale, saleable product at that point. How do you think law firms are advantaged by working with legal technology vendors, especially new legal technology vendors, because there's so many startups now? And conversely, how are legal technology vendors advantaged by working with law firms? Well, there has to be a good fit. But let me start from yeah. like a 10,000-foot view. Um, yes, that'd be great. You know, I feel like sometimes... There are law firms that say, gosh, I wish we had X, Y, and Z, but I have absolutely no idea how to do that. And then there's tech firms out there like, God, we've created this amazing tool, but what do we do with it, right? How how do we, who wants this thing? Um, And and it's bringing the idea of, you know, fire and wheel 
together and somehow you create this car. Or, yes. or I love the idea of, you know, a chocolate and peanut butter bumping into each other, right? <laughs> I enjoy I enjoy that as well, right. yes. <laughs> so uh, th- that's oftentimes where law firms are. And so the advantage is that law firms are full of ideas. They know what they want. They know what they need. Uh, they just have no idea how to get it. And tech companies are full mm-hmm. of the ability to give us deliverables, but don't know who wants it or how it can be used. So when you bring those two together, it's a really a beautiful partnership. I mean, it's a love affair where a law firm says, tech company, please develop this tool for me. And tech company develops that tool. And both get to thrive from that because they can beta test it together. Uh, the law firm knows exactly what it needs and exactly how it should work. And the developing company can fine tune it until it gets easier and easier and easier to use and delivers more and more value. And that at the end of that relationship, the law firm has a tool they can integrate into their workflow or into their communication system or their case management system or, you know, their chatbot or whatever else. And the tech company then has a tool. They say, aha, if it works for this um, everyday <laughs> yeah. law firm with everyday needs, maybe I can scale that out then and sell this to, you know, uh, the other several hundred thousand law firms across the country. And so there's ways I think there's a win-win for both sides, provided they find each other, right? And and that those ideas yeah, are shared. Yeah, absolutely. Need Tinder for absolutely. Yeah. I, you know, day. I've said that. That's, that's exactly what we need. Right? <laughs> Did I steal that from you? I might have subconsciously stole that from you. My yeah, apologies. yeah, yeah. No, we've we played at the idea of having this uh, this website. It's a marketplace <laughs> to bring in great ideas from law firms and great ideas from developing companies and and letting them mesh. Yeah, man. Swipe right. All right, so let's talk a little bit about how this works in larger law firms and see if that could work in smaller law firms. So my wife works for a larger law firm. And I know whenever I talk to her about legal technology, she's like, oh, we just build that in-house, which is fine. I accept that. But what I've seen some larger law firms doing now is inviting tech companies in through essentially accelerator or incubator programs and allowing them to essentially run a beta close beta on their staff and kind of test out products. And in some cases, they're actually taking equity interest in companies. Do you think that smaller firms could do similar things? Or do you think it's kind of like beyond the scope of what they can do, given all the other concerns they have? Hmm. Um, The short answer is any firm can do this. Um, The longer answer is how risk averse are most lawyers and and small firms. <laughs> yes, I, I think that there's definitely an advantage <laughs> for those firms who are willing uh, to venture outward and to create tools. And let me say this, I guess, as a starting point, there's a lot of really cool tools that are coming to lawyers and are running around the tech show last week in Chicago and seeing just the hundreds of vendors, everybody with this really cool product or you know, great ideas. Uh, it's getting easier and easier to have an, an out-of-the-box turnkey tool you just plug into your law firm and go. You know, I've come up and I know you come up through this era where we've had to create and envision and dream our own products because there was nobody out there who was creating what we needed. And these days, the -the out-of-the-box products are getting faster and faster and more and more of them. So the idea that we have to now create a customized tool to satisfy our legal needs within our firm is, um, I think, diminishing. It gets a little bit easier these days to go out and find a tool that's out there. But if you want to create that tool, I think the opportunities are out there because developers are hungry and there's lots of people who see that this you know, what's called a, a $300 billion to trillion dollar untapped legal market 
that lawyers are not mm. able to access because we cost too much and we don't have consumer-centric tools to access it is a really yeah. big motivator for law firms to say, if I could double, quadruple, <laughs> or take over my entire state as monopoly and give legal service to all these people that need me simply by finding a tech tool that leverages what I do, use AI to, uh, to, to recreate myself a thousand times over and be available online for all of my potential clients 24-7 while I sleep and the money gets churned, some excitement happens. People get <laughs> thrilled about this idea and think, I can do this. And that's when these tech startups begin or these tech uh, relationships begin when people begin to envision outside of their everyday box where they do all of their work with their pleadings and paper and all of that and start to see a very different world that looks, again, more like the Amazon or the Netflix world of legal. Mm. Yeah, literally thinking outside the box. So we talked a little bit about the scenario where a law firm engages a tech company during a beta period, either in-house or out-of-house. What happens when the beta period ends? How should a law firm continue to engage technology and potentially the vendor as well? Because I think a lot of people are set and they forget it. After well, that. I'll, I, there's a couple of answers to that, but maybe if I just share a kind of a story in, in my firm, yeah. it's a way to answer that question with, with yeah, go for history. It. So we started with the idea that there was a lot of stuff that we needed and we had no idea how to create it. You know, you watch what's going on on Twitter and this conversation comes all the time. Should lawyers be learning how to code? Should I be learning how to code? Should all <laughs> lawyers know how to code? Is that yeah. a fundamental <laughs> part of our practice or what? And I'm a firm believer that lawyers don't have to learn to code or really know anything about code. All they have to do is have a little vision about what they need and then start pairing up people who have expertise that we don't and bringing together partnerships to create tools using the people who have the expertise and have the abilities to do it. Mm. And so we started doing that mm -hmm. in our firm and, and we started creating tools um, that we didn't have before. We reached out to a company and said, can you go and scrape a government website of all the information relevant to our clients and dump it into our computers every morning where we could sort it and give it to everybody who's working on individual cases. So we created this partnership with Metager who created this key to mm -hmm. scrape a government website and provide us all That's of the cool. information about all of our cases days before the government was ever going to send it out in the mail or anything else. And then they can go off and, and share that key with everybody else. We didn't make a joint venture on that. We just paired up and shared ideas. Yeah, that's fantastic. We did another project with another tech company. We wanted all of our mail that was now electronic in a paperless system, all of our mail, you know, 500 pieces of mail that come in every day. Uh, we got tired of having mm -hmm. one person name each piece of mail and put it into our database. <laughs> and so we uh, uh, worked with a company to create a tool that auto-named every piece of mail and, and dropped it into our database. And then from there, it gets That's sent awesome. on to everybody's Trello board. So when you come into work in the morning, all of your mail, all of the pleadings, all of the letters, all of the everything has been standardized, has been identified, has been placed into our Clio's, we use our case management system uh, database, and then is placed onto our Trello board as a new mail for the day to go through and to take whatever action you need to. That's fantastic. Uh, those are two great applications. It, yeah, and you do that, and you do that more often than these just two instances. Yeah, I think we're on like our eighth partnership with a different uh, <laughs> tech company now. But what we nice. learned along the way was, I mean, at first the idea was all we want is a, essentially a free tool or a low cost tool, 
and we'll put in the elbow grease, we'll put in the time to help beta test it, develop it, and the company we work yeah. with puts in the time to give us the tool, and then they can go and sell it and use it, right? Uh, we did another yep. one, yep. and I'll shout out to Alan Rodriguez and one four hundred. We wanted a tool that could tell everybody what the value of their case was with just a couple of questions. And so we partnered with them and created a tool online on our website where anybody who wants to come there and answer a couple of questions will tell you the value of their case to the dollar. And our idea was we wanted to keep our state government honest because this is what the value of your fir- what volume of your case is worth and you should know that and not settle for a penny less and it was a free service just it's free on the on the front page our home page of our website and so we partnered with uh, with Alan's company to build that tool and they built it to us really inexpensively and now they go and sell it to firms across the country and, and make good money off that and that's really a good model nice. i think um, but as time has evolved, yes. we've said, maybe we should keep a piece of that, right? I mean, we have these really great ideas. <laughs> maybe we should keep a piece of that. That's right. Don't right. give it so all So we started away. creating uh, joint <laughs> ventures uh, with the next couple of iterations of companies that we worked with, with the idea that we would develop it and then keep a piece of that pie and then help market it outward. And you know, one of the examples of that is we have partnered with Tom Martin of Lodroid. And uh, I really yeah. thought it would be cool rather than having to talk to Siri or Cortana or Alexa, why can't I just talk to my computer and do everything legal? Like, why don't we, why don't we have voice commands for everything that I do? And so we started with mm. Clio and we turned all of the Clio functions into voice commands. So in our office, we can just talk to our computer and not use the keyboard. And so that was a, a yeah, joint really venture cool. with, uh, with Tom Martin and we created LawDroid Voice. And that is now uh, being beta tested and anybody can go online and beta test that with us. And uh, we're about to release a mobile version of it. So that's growing very quickly. And it's an example of what a joint partnership looks like, where we kept a piece of that for ourselves. We continue to grow it and share it and work it outward. See that? You're doing all those things I was talking about before as a small firm. And I want everybody to know out there that you can do that as well. Thanks, Patrick. This has been a great discussion so far. So we're through the beta. Now we're going to move on to the marketable product in the third phase of our podcast. While I look for the plain Uno card set that's not the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles one, listen to these words from our sponsors. Is your firm experiencing missed calls, empty voicemail boxes, and potential clients you'll never hear from again? Enter AnswerOne Virtual Receptionists. They're more than just an answering service. AnswerOne's available 24-7. They can even schedule appointments, respond to emails, integrate with Clio, and much more. AnswerOne helps make sure your clients have the experience they deserve. Give them a call yourself at 800-ANSWER-1 or visit them at answerone.com forward slash podcast for a special offer. Firm Central cloud-based legal practice management software for solo and small firms provides a single online location for all of the tools you need to manage client files and perform client work and offers unrivaled integration with Westlaw. With Firm Central, you can securely store and organize documents and case files, manage time tracking and billables, and collaborate with clients through a secure client portal from anywhere there is an internet connection. All right, thanks for coming back once again. I hope you're enjoying your salty opposition to progress. Let's get back to our conversation with Patrick Pallas of Pallas Law, who's talking to me about ways that law firms and legal tech providers can work closely together. And if you listened to him before the break, he had several specific examples of that. So when law firms work closely with technology vendors, Patrick, 
I'm wondering if it actually helps them to better understand technology, or is it kind of difficult to gain a broader perspective when you're working with only like a single type of technology at one time? And I think your practice is different in that you work with a bunch of different vendors, but I don't think that's the case with most law firms. At the tech show, I listen to Ed Walters. I always listen to Ed Walters. Mm-hmm. A good, good thing to do. Yes. <laughs> always I've a known good plan. Ed for years, and he just never ceases to impress me with the new directions that he's going and the new tools that that he has to share. And every time I think I get an, yeah. you know, a grip around where technology is heading or the kind of things technology can do, he completely and utterly blows me away with the potential that's out there. <laughs> and this whole AI potential is incredible. So whether or not lawyers can pretend to understand tech or know how tech works uh, or understand the horizons of tech... I think everyone can take ownership of the idea that they know what they need and they can create a vision of what they could have or create or build or some idea of the limits of their potential. And then it's just a matter of finding someone who has the ability to bring that to fruition. Um, frequently, I talk about my position at the top of this pyramid and I firm just as, as a visionary, and that sounds rather egotistical. I don't mean it to sound quite that way. I do admit and intend to say that if we sit back in our chairs and just think about what it is we need and the possibilities of how we get it, chances are there's somebody out there in the tech world that can make it come to life today. And the more that you are linked to those people in our legal space and in technology that are making these things happen, the closer you are to finding them, talking with them, pairing with them, building something cool or adapting something cool and breaking your firm into territory that you never thought possible when you were your island on your desk siloed into doing pleadings. (laughs) I like how you brought that back. Nice callback to the first part of the show. All right, here's a, here's a big question for you, so get settled. Let's imagine a world in which alternative business structures are allowed mm-hmm. in the United States, like they're allowed in the United Kingdom. Would you personally view that as a positive development? And then how would that change all this stuff we're talking about, the way that lawyers and legal tech vendors can work together? Yeah, I've been a proponent of it for uh, years. Uh, mm-hmm. As you know, and I'm sure your listeners know, the barrier to that happening uh, I mean, and there's a number of them, frankly, but the, the one that's front and center is is uh, RPC or Ethics Rule 5.4 about yeah. sharing attorney's fees, right? We can't share with, yep. with, with non-lawyers. And as long as that rule is firmly rooted in as a barrier, uh, then we are unable to share our fees. And if we can't share our fees, what's the advantage to having for an outside company that has expertise to come into our into legal space, right? They, they can't yeah. make money. They can't make profit. They're, they're locked out. And that's a big problem. So I think when we talk about alternative business structures, we have to talk about the pieces that build up to it. And one of those pieces is being able to share fees. Because if we yep. can share fees, then we can share profit. If we can share profit, there's a profit motive for people to come in with investment money and all the other areas of expertise that are excluded from the practice of law right now. We practice law, but we don't do anything else, right? We're yep. not tech experts. We're not marketing experts. We're not accounting experts, right? We're not investment capital experts. We're not anything experts. We know how to practice law. And that's what we do. And so we open up those doors, then we 
can bring in all these other experts and form all these other collaborations to really explode into what our full potential really is. And I use the example of airports and airplanes uh, and the whole travel industry. If we put everything onto pilots and said, you have a license to fly planes, go, uh, we would never have had airports. We have never had the travel industry. We would have never had any yeah. of these things, right? Because pilots don't know how to do anything but fly planes. Um, and yet, look at the how how rich that tapestry of that industry is because it's not limited to pilots controlling everything. And by the same token, if we as lawyers open up the doors to create these airports of opportunity and open up this market, I think all of us become far more successful and, and here's the bigger piece of all of this is that if mm-hmm. 70%, 80% maybe of the people out there who need legal services can't get them because we form a barrier that they can't get through because they can't afford us, we can't cut costs down. By opening up all these doors with fee sharing and investment and alternate business structures, suddenly we open up the door to make law accessible to the rest of this $300 billion to trillion dollar latent market that can't get in and can't find us. Um, There's really good reasons for alternative business structures. But before we go there, and there are a number of states looking at it, um, you know, Washington has has played with this idea, Utah is playing with this idea, uh, right? California with their landscape report and their commission is now looking at this idea. Um, We need to find a way for sure that gives very solid um, reasons to market to and to sell to the people that need practice and need law the most. If we really don't have incentives or maybe subsidies or tax credits or legislative fixes to drive this new joint ventures into providing law to everybody who needs it, uh, then we're just doing what they're doing in the UK, which I think is just driving law into bigger and bigger corporations and making a fewer group more wealthy. So Alternative business structures are great, but I think we need to do it in a way uh, that really is focusing on law for all, not more money for a few. Yeah, great. I like your airport analogy, too. Yeah, so if like some version of TSA Pre is available in that hypothetical airport, I'm down. So last technical question for you. I know we talked about this a little bit, but like, are there instances that you believe where it is still okay or advisable for law firms to build their own software without the aid of a company or a vendor? It just depends who you are. If you are David Calaruso, then you're doing that every day for lunch. Uh, and during <laughs> yes. your lunch break, you're creating a new tool, right? Yeah, right. What's for breakfast? I think I'm going to make this new tool. Uh, but not all of us can be David Calarusos, and not all of us can be, um, you know, ticking uh, question and answer markup and creating solutions to uh, to our legal problems. But I think the opportunity is out there for the, for the right lawyer who this makes them happy. I mean, follow your passion. I have a winery, not because I'm a lawyer, but because it's my passion to do these things. Uh, follow your passion. Where's yeah. your side hustle? Go for it, man. Make your life happy. Live it to the fullest. If if coding and creating tools is your is your jam, for God's sake, go out there and do it and make yourself happy. For the rest of those folks out there who might want these tools, but don't feel competent. And frankly, it doesn't make them super excited to sit down and code. Um, Then go partner up with people who make that their thing and it's their expertise and then together build something fabulous. Or for everyone else, go find an out-of-the-box product and buy it and thrive that way. I mean, everybody should find what makes them happy and, and create a firm that does what they want it to do. Nice. All right, let's talk about jams. I was reading your website bio. Uh-oh. And you seem you see, you rock hard is what I hear. 
like your kids tell you to turn the music down, right? Yeah. So what I want to know is what is the most embarrassing album you own? Because I feel like we're in the same age bracket and that you probably own albums at some point or CDs at least. And if it helps, if it helps to push this along, I'll name mine as well. Oh, all right. I see where this is this is going. Um, you know, the idea of owning albums these days totally dates me, dude. I can't believe you, you threw me under that bus. But yes, I dude, have. Dude, I'm, I'm staring. I'm staring at like a stack of record albums right now. I'm throwing myself under the same bus. We're there together. I've been buying my son, you know, the, these new LPs because he loves his turntable, and so it's all cool yeah. again, all over again. And so we've been buying things like retro Boston albums. He loves Boston. He loves old Journey. Oh, Boston's good. Uh, I yeah. bought him uh, ACDC Back in Black, right? So, I mean, these are <laughs> these are fun albums back today. But if you want to know my embarrassing collection, I'm afraid you have to go back to the 80s. And it's things like uh, Culture Club or Adam Ant <laughs> or oh, nice. Uh, nice. Human League or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I like Adam Ant, I got to say. Yeah. Yeah, well, okay. I had an Adam Ant cassette single. I remember that very well. Yeah. <laughs> but you got to reach back there away, I think, to embarrass me. I have a pretty broad collection of music, and I listen to everything all the time. In fact, we actually sponsor uh, a rock concert every year. My my office has a backstage really? party. We bring on about uh, twenty bands, fifteen thousand people every night for a couple of nights. Yeah, it's called oh, wow. it's called Pain in the Grass. It's a big deal here in the Northwest. Super fun to go to, and oh. uh, it's all metal. It's all metal, and that's kind of our thing. It's it's my balance between Yogi Winemaker, maybe a little bit of a headbanger law. You know, it's I know you're just a Renaissance man. That's all. I I, I you find your passions wherever you know you meet them wherever you find them, and uh, so yes, I'm one of those embarrassing parents whose children are probably better mannered and listen to music quieter than than I do. <laughs> I feel your pain. This has been a fun discussion. Wait, you didn't say your but, album. You didn't say your album. Oh. I thought you were going to forget about that. Um, I'm going to have to go with Wilson Phillips' debut album, <laughs> 1990. I love that. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I was into China Phillips a little bit, but like, sure. I kind of like the music too. <laughs> All right. All right. Now that's out there. Okay. I should. I should. I'm trying to think of a cool album I have now as well, but I'm just going to drop this before it gets any worse. So, <laughs> we've reached the end of yet another episode of the Legal Toolkit Podcast. This was the podcast about law firms and legal technology vendors working better together. And we've been talking with the one and only Patrick Palace of Palace Law. Now, I'll be back on future shows with further insights into my soul, the soul of America and the legal market. If you're feeling nostalgic for my dulcet tones, however, you can check out our entire show archive anytime you want at LegalTalkNetwork.com. So thanks again to Patrick Palace of Palace Law for making an appearance as my guest today. All right, Patrick, can you tell everybody how they can find out more about you and Palace Law and Sunken Cellars and your concert series or whatever else you want to tell people about? Yeah, thank you. You know, I'm happy to have this conversation. We start these conversations on a podcast and they they tend to bloom. Um, Find me on at Palace Law on Twitter or email me at Patrick at Palace Law. Uh, Website is palacelaw.com. Call me. I don't care. Let's. If you have ideas and want to exchange thoughts or or partner up or whatever, uh, come find me. I love the conversations. Call this man. So once again, that's Patrick Palace of Palace Law. Finally, thanks to all of you out there for listening. This has been the Legal Toolkit Podcast, where we eat all our navy beans because they're good roughage. Thanks for listening to Legal Toolkit, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. 
Join host Jared Correa for his next podcast covering the current business trends for law firms. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Or download the free app from Legal Talk Network in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the Unbillable Hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.